Welcome to episode eight of It's All In Your Head podcast. I'm Michelle Walker, and I'm here with Tara Ray. Our episode today is going to be on parenting. So Tara, today on our discussion of parenting, I know that um, when I was a new counselor working with kids, I didn't work a lot with kids because I worked mostly with adults. But as a new counselor, you don't always have those options. You know, you kind of work with whoever whoever gets brought to you sometimes. And as you're developing the clientele that you end up working with later as a counselor, you're figuring that out. So I did have children and families come to me more often as a young counselor, and I didn't really know what to, what to do. So what I, and the reasons I didn't know is because when I was parenting my own kids, I didn't know a lot about parenting. So I knew my mother's parenting style was to hit us and I knew I didn't want to do that. So I had run across this um, study that I'd found. And what the study was is they had taken love versus discipline and compared the two. And they'd come up with some statistics that from this study of love versus discipline in a home. And what they had found is that if there was low amounts of love and low amounts of discipline in a home, uh, more likely those children would have criminal backgrounds. And if there was high amounts of discipline and low amounts of love in a home, those children did really well in the military. Um, If there was high amounts of love and high amounts of discipline, those kids who are your basic solid citizen, middle-class America, right? And then if you had kids that had low amounts of discipline, but high amounts of love, you had more creative geniuses and entrepreneurs, right? So I decided that that's what I was going to do because disciplining, I didn't really have much of a, a history of how to do it. So we had low amounts of discipline and high amounts of love in my home as I raised my kids, but because that's all I knew how to do. So that was my, that was my parenting criteria. That was the whole thing. (laughs) was to study. I know it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? (laughs) No, it doesn't sound ridiculous. It's, it's, it's just, it's interesting that you even had the foresight to, the forethought to make a choice (laughs) because I don't think, I made a choice. I think that what I exercised was what I call fear-based parenting because my anxiety was so high. That's how I parented. Well, it kind of showed up in my parenting that way. But when I got to be a counselor, someone told me about, uh, actually it was a clinical director that told me about a book called One, Two, Three Magic. And it was just a book about a parenting style where you give kids three chances and then put them in a timeout, uh, one minute for every year old they are, and focus mostly on what they do right rather than what they do wrong. So, you know, they do something wrong, you tell them what it is and you say, this is one. And then when they do it again, you say, okay, that's two. And they've already been told that when they get to three, there's gonna be a timeout, you know? And then when they get to three, you put them in their room or somewhere where they're away from everybody else. And then they get to come back after the timer goes off. And um, it's supposed to be um, 
a really great way of parenting. And I'm thinking, I wish I had known about, about that. And they have one, two, three magic for children and one, two, three magic for teens. And it even has a, par a chapter in the back that talks about the behavior problems of kids who will be more, who will fight that more. It talks about how to be more um, strict with the kids who will be the ones that will fight against it more. And so it's a pretty good book for just basic parenting. And so I would use that to counsel people on parenting because I didn't have a ton of parenting skills and that was my only parenting skill as a therapist. What about for you as a therapist? How did you help families? Uh, <clears throat> I, the thought that just came to mind, I remember structuring a, a cognitive behavioral therapy parenting class for parents who were on probation. Most of them were women. And I remember doing a lot of focus on helping them change the way that they thought and teaching them how their thinking process really impacted their parenting and why that could be a motivation to change the way that they thought. But I think that usually that's more my style with pretty much everything is just, a, a, just looking at how the people think and helping them to change it in a way that is meaningful and that can help them reach that goal. So we would have goals around parenting. What do you want to happen in your parenting relationship with your child? We talked about how cookie cutter parenting was not the way to go, that every child had to be treated as an individual because that really was their basic right, just like the parents expected to be treated as individuals. So we would do a lot of that. But I think for me, my go-to is always going to be some aspect of a cognitive behavioral type of an approach when dealing with any issue. So cognitive behavioral, just to kind of explain for our fans again, is that what we think becomes our feelings, which becomes our actions. So our thoughts become our actions. And if you can change the thoughts, you can change the behaviors. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what we've done today to kind of help with um, understanding parenting a little bit more is Tara and I have been very open about having mental health issues and as we were parenting our children. So we've invited our children to come today and we're going to interview them about their experience of being with us as parents with mental health issues so that you can get kind of an idea of what they went through and hopefully something that they say will be helpful to some of you out there. Thank you for joining us for It's All In Your Head podcast. Remember to subscribe, like, share, and please comment. Whatever mental health questions you have, we will be happy to answer them in future podcasts. So today we wanted to interview each other's children to give an idea of what it was like for our kids growing up in a home with a parent with mental illness. So I'm going to be talking to Thomas, Tara's son. And Thomas, the question I'm going to ask you is what were the best and worst situations you had growing up with Tara and her anxiety? Okay, I'm going to start with the worst. 
situations. Um, when you have a parent that's like that, it kind it's kind of hard, you know, to convince them that you need a little bit more freedom. Like, for example, I will go out try to play basketball during the day. <laughs> you know, never came home at midnight, no crazy type of hours. But, you know, she was so worried about me, she'll call me. She'll call all my friends. My friends used to trip on me. I'll be like, I don't know. But the best part for me was, like, she kept me out of a lot of things. So I learned to stay out of, I learned to stay out of trouble a lot, even to this day. Like, nowadays, I, I just, I go to work. I go home. I don't do nothing else really outside of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're saying that the hardest part was the fact that she was overly anxious sometimes about your safety. Yes. Over, overprotective. It, sometimes it'll, it'll drive you crazy, but I understood why she was like that. I understood it. Although, you know, I was irritated with it but I understood where she was coming from at the end of the day. Okay, and now the advantages of that have been that you feel like you're a pretty responsible adult. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like I say, I learned to watch my surroundings a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that. Oh, you watch your surroundings a lot. <laughs> okay. Yes, because it was growing up, it was certain things that my mom seen and she would not... She was not going to play around with it. She's like, no, Thomas, you're not doing this. You don't understand now, but you'll understand it later. And she was right about that. Okay, like what? Like what? Hmm. Okay, for example, like certain friends I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say it like this, but my mom seen like the kind of path they were going towards. So like she kept me away from those people that was like headed towards those paths like you know that can really mess up their lives. And she was real she's real good at like seeing things like that. Mm -hmm. So that was an advantage. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a real a real huge advantage. I'll say that. <laughs> so I want to just ask Thomas a follow-up question and let him be okay and be okay with answer, answering. Has much changed today? And do you care if people know how old you are? Mm -mm. I don't care. <laughs> so Thomas will be 29 and just has much changed today about kind of how I am. And so that's the first question. Um I'll say you're more, hmm, what's, what's the word? Because I think you're still the same. You're just trying to be more tolerant of certain things. I'll say that, more, more tolerant. <laughs> so what happens when I call you and you don't call me back? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she thinks... The worst has happened. I'm mad at her or something. <laughs> it was, it's nothing like that. But she freaks out if I don't answer the phone. So that's why I try my best. Whenever she calls me, I miss a call. I make sure to call her back 
or send her a text message to let her know I'm okay. And that's your anxiety showing up, Pontera. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You get anxious when he doesn't answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, you know. <laughs> it wasn't easy. It, it was rough. It was. It sounds like you're thinking of a specific example. No. Okay. I'm not thinking. It's just... I guess it all falls in the in that category, no matter what story I come up with, is you know. Okay. <laughs> it all falls in that category of it was rough. Mm -hmm. It was rough. Mm -hmm. Yep. And what was rough about it is it just produced some anxiety in you in trying to comfort her anxiety. Oh, it was that was something I could never win. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could never win that battle. But I've tried. It's like, I guess, like, like I said, she she's seen stuff different than what I've seen, you know, because me, I'm thinking I'm just it's just a simple go hang out with my friends. We're going to go to the mall, you know, not getting into any trouble. But with her case, she thinking it could be I could be in gang activity or <laughs> any type of stuff that can get me in trouble. Like that, that was the hard part. So Alexis and Mandy, you've kind of heard Thomas talk about some of his experiences dealing with me and the anxiety that I had I still deal with to this day. Talk to me about maybe a best and a worst that you've had dealing with your mom growing up. I'm unmuted, so I'll start. Um, I think best was younger years where we didn't, we didn't know everything going on, but we knew that we had a lot of fun. We were allowed to have a lot of fun. We didn't have a lot of rules. We were, I mean, we had rules sometimes, but there was just nothing consistent, right? We had some years early bedtime and sometimes later. I remember noticing other adults looking at us and commenting on how wild we were or how we didn't have enough rules or, and I always felt like, boy, my mom just trusts us. We don't need those rules. We, we can do whatever we want and we'll be okay because she says we'll be okay. And as a, as a pretty little kid, that felt pretty cool. You know, it felt like, oh, I just have all this freedom. This is so great. It wasn't until probably teenage years where that became also the worst, where there was no structure, there was no consistency. Um, everything was changing all the time, where we lived, who our stepdad was, who our siblings were, which school we were going to, it changed every few years. And so then it became this thing where it was more obvious, like there are a lot of things out there that could hurt you, that could cause problems, that could get you in trouble that could change the course of your life. And some years she was able to say, Hey, here's something you need to pay attention to. And, and I'll prevent you from getting hurt. And other years she was so just out of it, you know, not involved in the parenting aspect that there was this constant fear. I mean, I think it caused a lot of anxiety in all of the kids for 
just not knowing what's coming next in life. There was no guide, no guardian, no protector. It was just like anything goes and anything bad could happen and, and electricity is getting turned off and people are coming to take away things from our home. And, and, and to us, it's like, this all feels chaotic and scary. And she's still just brushing it off. Like, oh, it's fine. Whatever. It's not a big deal. None of this matters. And, and so it became just this terror all of the time of like, I have no idea what's going to happen next. And I don't know if I'm going to get through what's going to happen next. And, and there's not only no one here to stop it. There's not even another person here to validate that this is big and not okay. That what's going on is not normal, is not causing safety, is not okay. You know, it was just like the, that flip side of, of feeling fun and free where it's like the, the roller coaster goes down and it's, it's really fun because you know that your seatbelt's on and the roller coaster's not flying off the ride. But as a teenager, it was like, I don't know if the seatbelt is going to hold. I don't know if this ride is going to stay on the track. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes one of the latches of the seatbelt is flying off in the air and hitting me in the head. And still my mom's saying, it's okay. It's fine. You know? So I think it, that caused a lot of, for, for all the kids, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of um, feeling like we had to be in charge. And so each of us would take turns, taking care of the younger kids and feeling like we had to then prevent whatever was coming next, even though we had, sorry, we had no mental capacity to know what was coming next because we didn't know enough about the world. We didn't know which bills were due or what, you know, and, and I did start learning that as a teenager, I started figuring out, okay, what is due? How do you pay this? How do we get this taken care of? And, um, at one, at one point, my grandma set up an account, a bank account in my name with money. My mom couldn't access so that I could pay things like the electricity bill and the water bill and, when there was no food at all and we didn't even know where my mom was, I could go and get some food for the kids. And, and I just had to learn how to like cook this food fast. And there are three little kids at home. And, and when I was a teenager, Mandy was out of the house already. And so it was, it really was all on me. It was like, I, I don't know where she is. I don't know when she's coming home. There's no food. The kids are hungry. There's, I just, it, I don't know what to do, you know? And so there's, in that way, the, the worst is just this constant um, need to be older than you are and a constant feeling like you have to not only take care of the other little kids in the house, but like you have to take care of your adult. And that's the opposite of what you're describing, Thomas. So that's the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know... And it's funny, like when I was listening to her, cause you know, a lot of the things that I wanted to get into, like when I, okay, when I turned 18, cause I was so used to being in the house so much, like high school party, I, I probably went to one high school party, my whole high school career, mm-hmm. you know. But when I got older, I felt I was free. You know what I'm saying? I, I felt freedom. So like, and and I guess like the part <clears throat> that kind of uh, messes me up 
It's like I wanted to get into those things that my mother was shielding me away from. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Because I guess I was just so used to being in the house so much behind for like not really knowing what's going out, what's going on in the world. I, I you know, I couldn't help but get into some of those things. But now, you know, I'm more chill, more relaxed. I don't even care about none of that stuff anymore. Like how, like I used to when I was younger. How do you think um, it's affected your parenting having grown up that way? Um, how it's affecting it? Some, some things I do take a page from my mom's book with, you know, mm -hmm. when it comes to my son. And it's different, you know, each generation is different, so you know, but I'm actually, yeah, it's hmm. Good question. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask Alexis. Alexis, how do you think it's it's affected your parenting? I think my parenting's probably more similar to Tara's parenting now <laughs> because um I don't want my kids to feel like there's instability or like they have to be in charge of something that they don't. And maybe it's, it hasn't caused anxiety where I'm not willing to let them do things, but it has caused anxiety in me where when they struggle and when something gets really hard and they want to quit, it's hard for me to know what is that proper boundary between pushing them to achieve more versus pushing them to the point where they feel out of control like I did. And, and I, with each of my kids, I have to, I have to like calibrate myself. I have to say, okay, my natural tendency is to not let them feel any pain or any sorrow or any chaos. And when there is any of that, and some of that's normal in life, obviously, but when there is that, I feel, I guess just it's stressed out. I'm trying to think what the real emotion is. It's like, um, it's confusion, but it's more, I guess, a fear that I'm, that I'm creating for them that same scenario that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And so there is no gauge of what's a proper amount of chaos that someone can, can take and can get over and not have to, you know, what's a non-traumatizing level of chaos for a child. I don't have a guide for that. And so with each of my kids, I feel like I'm recalibrating all the time constantly talking to them about, you know, I think you can do this. And then if they can't do it, I have to step in. And sometimes I get frustrated trying to step in because I feel like, man, when I was your age, I was doing this, 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 and this. And I have to remind myself what's, what's realistic for a 10 year old, what's realistic for a six year old, because the things that were asked of me at those ages weren't realistic. And so, yes, I could do them and they could do them but could they do them without feeling traumatized from it? Well, probably not. And could they, can I motivate them in a way without feeling just upset that they aren't able to do that? It's, there's like this inadequacy in me of how come my kids can't do this when I could do it at that age? Because I have no gauge around me of like, what is normal for a kid this age? And I have to look at their friends and talk to their friends' parents and and get a lot of feedback. I feel like I'm constantly getting feedback. We have the, 
you know, the school counselor at school and, and people that I'm just saying, okay, here's what's going on. Here's what I think I should do. I just need it like a, a second opinion. You know, I feel like I'm constantly seeking the second opinion on how much chaos is okay. How many trials are okay. How, how hard or easy should I be making this to give them a, a solid sense of self and a solid sense of accomplishment. Thank you for joining It's All In Your Head podcast. I just want to remind you to subscribe, like, share, and comment below. Thank you. Go ahead, Tara. Go ahead. <laughs> I think as I'm listening to, <clears throat> to Alexis, I, I feel like I'm hearing her from like that same standpoint because my mother was the one who there was always chaos around. So I wanted to have calm, but then I was over the top and extra. And so, cause if you ask me, I would say my kids got to do things, but they have a totally different perspective about that. But I never wanted them to see chaos either. So I was trying to, you know, control it or pull it in or make sure they didn't. And so, Thomas now can see it as something that was good, but I think in the moment, I was like Alexis, just always trying to manage, always trying to do things, always looking over my shoulder, always looking over their shoulders because I thought that I could prevent whatever from happening and it was just really a function of the high anxiety. And so if I could make sure I was in mostly in control of things, I wasn't as anxious and so, my kids, I think, just got used to it. And Thomas can speak to this more just of how that was because I, too, was always recalibrating in a sense, you know, to see how is this or what. Because I never thought what I was doing was too much at the time. Now I can look back on it and say, man, that was really extra for my kids to have gone through that. But at this point in time, or at that point, I, di I didn't know that it was over the top. I really didn't. And it didn't matter what they said, because I thought I knew best. <laughs> so it didn't matter that they were saying, this is too much. So it was hard to listen to them because your anxiety was saying, I know better. Exactly, 100%. And sitting on this side, I can say, yeah, it was definitely the anxiety. But in the moment there, yeah. I wouldn't, I didn't have that gauge. I wouldn't be able to say I'm doing this because I'm anxious. I would say I'm doing this because this is going to keep you safe. And as you hear Thomas talking about it, I could make it make sense because at the end of the day, that was the end result. And, and, and Thomas was, if you all can't tell, he is so laid back, just very laid back. And so he might say he was going to comply, but in reality, he already knew what he was going to do around the circumstance because it was no convincing me. Like he said, that was a battle he could never win. So he would just say, well, okay. <laughs> and that didn't mean he agreed. That just meant that he was going to walk out of that conversation. 
to do whatever and then suffer whatever consequence will come after that. In other words, Thomas, you would just agree and then do whatever you wanted to do. <laughs> Not all the time. Okay. Okay, let me stop lying. Mostly, yeah, because you know, when you're a teenager doing them years, you think you know everything when you're a teenager. For some reason, I thought I knew everything, thinking my mom did not know anything. I, I don't know why I thought like that. <laughs> well, I wanted to, um, my, my oldest daughter, uh, Mandy's on here with us too. And so I wanted to, um, because she's the oldest, she went through the majority of my, my mental health issues for the very longest time and was probably instrumental in helping me get help when she was 17 by the time I got help and I was 37. And so, um, Mandy, are you, how would you answer that question of best and worst of your experience? Yeah, I thought it was interesting that um, as, as Alexis, I call her Lexi, sorry, started talking, um, she, we have totally different perspectives, I think. Um, so me being the oldest and also my personality, which I have a very oldest child personality. So um, I, the same thing with the changing rules, which had to do with which dad was in the situation, that type of thing always made me feel chaotic. But I thought it was interesting that um, I never remembered it being oh whatever rules or oh whatever because I think that as the oldest I picked up the slack so mm -hmm. when my mom did go oh whatever rules and it's fine and things like that I don't remember it that way because I would come in and be like okay kids we need to do this and um we should probably be doing this and let's make sure this happens because I can feel the unsafe situation about to occur. Um, and so for me, I feel like that I always knew that I was helping out, but I didn't realize that that was not normal per se. I was my mom's sounding board, especially when during the years that she was, um, that she was single. And I thought that was completely normal to be the sounding board for my mom. Uh, now I realize as an adult that generally you don't talk to um, your, you know, young, and I'm talking under 12, eight, eight years old, seven years old. Um, and I would be her sounding board about things that she was worried about or, or her life, or um, I don't know what, how to explain it exactly, but um, so I felt like I was always trying to step in and make sure everything was okay. I have a vivid memory. I hope it's okay if I share an example, but I have a vivid memory of my mom, um, when she would feel, um, out of control. And I know now that that's what it was. She would just up and take a trip or, you know, something like that because, and I now know that that was her way of trying to cope with things. Well, uh, we had flight benefits due to her job. And she said, we're going to Denver. We got home from school on a Friday and she said, we're going to Denver. And the, um, what happened was we got to Denver. There was a huge conference. What was it? Was the, the, was Pope. Like a, the, the Pope, Pope was in Denver. <laughs> yes. 
And my mom hadn't checked that. She hadn't checked if there were hotels. And there were literally zero hotels in the city. And we're stuck there. We were trying to get to Aspen is where we were trying to go. Mm -hmm. And so um, we were in Denver stuck because we couldn't get to Aspen. And we, it was late at night and we had to get a hotel. And I remember, and I don't know, I've since heard the story from my mom that it was not a great hotel. I didn't know, I was about 12, what not a great hotel meant. I just could feel the feeling that this was not a great place. And I remember panicking when we got there and it took like an hour to get to the hotel by the time we found one. They picked us up, it took like an hour and we got there and the doors didn't lock. And I was kind of freaking out and we were putting stuff like against the doors so that we could go to bed. And I just remember feeling completely out of control and trying to be like, why didn't my mom think of this? And as a result, whenever I travel, I am like over the top planning. I have to know where we're going to stay. I have to know what we're going to do because I have had those experiences where it was just, it was too much. And I was the one taking over saying, this isn't safe. We got to do something, you know? So um, it was different. Also, I didn't have to take over budgeting or things like that. We didn't have issues when I was in the house. And I think it, it had to do with who she was married to at the time I was living in the house. Um, I didn't have to take care of that, but I did have to babysit an entire summer. Like I, there were four younger kids by that point. So four younger than me. And I was watching them more than eight hours a day, my entire summer. And I remember feeling so resentful <laughs> that I had to do that. And it was because they couldn't afford to pay someone to do it. And so I, and I know that's kind of selfish, but I look back and I, I think that was selfish of me. I could have done that, but I shouldn't have had to do that. Um, I shouldn't have had to take all those um, measures and be in charge of the kids. And I wasn't very good at it. I was only 12. I wasn't very good at it. I wasn't very kind to them because I didn't know what to do when they acted out and I didn't know how to control um, my frustration to help them. So unfortunately for them, it made a bad situation where that was probably a horrible summer for them because I feel like I just yelled at them or, you know, things like that the entire summer. Um, sorry, I'm getting kind of long-winded, but I did want to get into the best is that I feel like because of this, I found out who I was early. I found out I, I guess you could say I was refined a little. So I found out who I was. I had, I learned how to deal with hard situations early in life, which made me who I am today. So while it was difficult, I also feel that I learned so much from it. And I think that I would be a different person without those experiences, good or bad. I think that I would be that. And so I have a hard time completely regretting my growing up because I feel like I am who I am today because of the situations that I dealt with as a child. I also feel like um, I found who I was. I, for me, I turned to my faith. I, I turned to God and I, I really found that I rely on my father in heaven who was there for me when everything wasn't feeling 
fully correct and I didn't know what to do. And when things changed so much, I didn't have one person who I could rely on. And so I personally found my faith in God and that is my guiding light even today because I was able to find such a great relationship with God through those experiences. If I can jump in real fast, I think it's important to note too what what our faith and our religion, the role that it was in getting us through this. As 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 an adult, I did some therapy sessions with my mom after one of her manic phases, and the therapist I remember to me telling, I mean, we're telling her these things, and her face, I mean, she's in shock. This is a woman who deals with this stuff all the time, and she's just in shock at what kind of experiences I had grown up in and that I had come out of it to function, to get a college education, to be able to get married and have children and, and have just a more functioning life without so many pitfalls. And she kept digging deeper as to like, wait, but what about this and how and why? And, and what it really came down to was the fact that we had a support system through our church that kept us from falling completely. We never had to live on the street. We never had, you know, there were people checking in on each of the kids, each of our, our leaders in our um, primary classes and our church classes would check in on us, would help guide us through things. There was always our church provided food if we needed it. Or, you know, there were things that, that the structure of of our religion was really what saved us from what most people who go through living with a parent with borderline, living with a parent with bipolar, um, what their outcome would be. And so I think it's important to note that like kids can't, you know, there is a point where kids are a product of their upbringing and it takes a lot of outside support and help to get children to come out of a situation like that and be able to hit just average, an average functioning level where they feel okay. Yep, that's absolutely true. I think that if there's the only thing I could have probably attributed to having done consistently is we did pray together as a family. But it's interesting because that was with the older kids and then yeah. that changed with the younger kids. And that's where, I mean, you say that Mandy had the most, I think Allie, I think the youngest had the most of it because the difference by the end of Spencer's time at home and for the a good portion of Allie's is that you weren't involved in religion anymore. And she didn't have that same guiding force. And I feel like she fell harder than the rest of us because all she had to rely on was you. And, and you couldn't be consistent. And for us, when you couldn't be consistent, we had something to fall back on and she didn't. And we also had our dads to fall back on in a way and her dad was as much less present. And we also had grandma to fall back on and grandma had passed away by then. And so I think it was like the trifecta of pillars that dropped out under Allie. But I think the religion and the church could have picked up a good portion of that. Um, the way that it did for us. And, and I think that thing that was missing for her is the reason that she 
she has to work harder than we do. I feel, and all of us have talked about this. She got, she got it hard and she, and she continues to have things happen that are hard that the rest of us have been able to just skim past. Interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. So Thomas, <clears throat> I want you to talk a little bit about even if it, just whatever you feel comfortable with as far as even how religion came into play in our household. And you can go all the way back if you want to, like just whatever you would, whatever you would talk about, because we've, we've gone through the gambit of religious stuff. So what okay, would you well, say? With me, personally, and my mom doesn't know this, when growing up, when it came to religion, I was confused at first because I was born in a nation of Islam and they had a whole di different perspective on everything. But then like, when how old was I, 12, 13? Or like, Maybe no, a little younger. probably Maybe like younger. 11, like 11 years old. Like it was like 11, 12 years old when I first went to church. So me, I had no clue what church was at the time. All I hear was music playing. I'm like, what, what's this? I, I don't know. And then, you know, when I didn't understand feeling the spirit. So I, was, I used to be like, why are people crying all the time <laughs> and all of that? And I, I guess church for me, it was just different. It was different. But certain pastors who we um, had in the past, I found myself listening to like really the message behind for really what they were trying to say, you know? And that's when I never, that's why I never had a problem with like certain, you know how people say certain pastors are this and that. Well, when it came to that, my mom, when it came to religion, my mom does not play. She, she, she takes her notes, does her homework. And in the past we left certain churches when she felt like it wasn't right. And at the time I'm thinking these were good churches, you know, but my mom always seen something different. But religion helped me, it gives me a solid background, you know. <clears throat> Although, honestly, I'm not as religious as I should be, but I still believe in God, you know, I have that faith. So do you think that through the process kind of what we went through religiously did it hinder did it help um actually, it actually helped thinking about it now because like i said we always was in church like whenever it was available sunday we're there every sunday wednesday we were there every wednesday sometimes saturday <laughs> and we'll you know we'll go saturday but Thinking about that now, like that all, like being in church helped keep me out of trouble too at the same time, because you know, church, they always had activities for children to do for, for us to, you know, for, excuse me, to keep us out of trouble, you know, but honestly, yeah, being, a, being religious for me, it didn't hinder anything for me personally. It didn't hinder anything for me. I want Thomas to talk a little bit about this because we don't talk about it a lot, but as they were growing up, I didn't have much contact with my family. 
And so I just want you to just give your thoughts on that because I didn't know that they had thoughts about it. I think Thomas mentioned something maybe when he was about, I don't know, I want to say 24 or 25, just the, the, how it was to not have contact with my family because it, I just, we just did it. And so I want him to maybe speak to that. And I knew why I didn't, but I never kind of brought them into it and it just became like normal life. So go ahead, Thomas. I mean, honestly, I've, me being the oldest, I've always knew why you were distant from them. My only thing was at the time, me growing up, I'm seeing everyone around me like normal. You know, they go see their families, their aunties, you know. Now, you know, I'm just like, I, I was just questioning that. Like, why don't we see our family that much? And, and then <laughs> got to know our family. <laughs> Which? And I, I, I understand why, although I love my family. Don't get me wrong, I love them so much, but the type of person my mother is, I understand why, you know, she keeps her distance from, I'm not gonna say all the family, but certain certain family members. And I don't even know who those certain family members are. I just know. <clears throat> well, do you guys wanna speak on family um mandy and lexi about the family the role of family took in your upbringing the extended family i can start so um like alexis talked about uh we had a grandmother who was very supportive and one of my favorite people in the world she was my other mom we spent so we lived about three hours away from her but we would spend the summer with her completely like she would take turns and it must have been exhausting. I know now mm -hmm. she would take turns. She would only be able to take one or two of us at a time. And so I remember we'd go for like two weeks and then we'd meet halfway and either we'd all go home or she'd switch off kids even, you know, right there to give my mom a break. And um, my grandmother was a huge uh was a huge force in my life. Um, and so I really think that she helped us a lot. I know she helped us financially a lot. I know that she supported both her and my grandfather supported us that way. But as far as just um, being there for me, that, that was huge. And it was huge for me because I didn't have a father figure consistently in my life. And so I, I really loved um spending time with my grandmother and the great thing though is that I have had the opportunity so my parents uh, my dad my biological father and my mom got divorced when I was two so I didn't really get a chance to know him very well I spent just afternoons with him things like that but I've had a really great opportunity since then as an adult to be able to become really close to my father because I had you know, the control and I was out of my teenage where you don't want to, you know, hang out with your dad or anything. So once I got out of that era, I was able to have a really great relationship with my father. And I do now. Um, and I've really enjoyed being able to find out how similar we are and how we do things similarly, um, that I 
couldn't have learned from living with him because I was only two. And so it's been really fun to get to know him. But I do think family was a huge part, at least from my perspective, um, of my growing up and helped a ton because I didn't have um, two parents in the home all the time. Um, that extended family was a huge deal. My uh, aunts and uncles, my aunt and uncle, and um, all of that were were very much a part of our life and we always would visit them. And I really enjoyed that also has given me a wonderful perspective on what a family that I wanted to create because I didn't know what a healthy family looked like unless I looked at other families. And so I really enjoyed my aunt and uncle and um, being able to see what I wanted to make my family like. Well, when you get into extended family, <laughs> that's going to get into the grandma conversation, which is a hard one for me. Um, my grandma was my best friend until she died. I talked to her on the day she died. Um, she was so young that she really, like Mandy said, she was our other mom. I mean, she was so actively involved in every aspect of our lives and in elementary school, we were in year-round school, and so we had these breaks. Every six weeks, we had a break, and we were up at grandma's. I mean, we saw her all the time, and um, grandma and grandpa, we saw them all the time. Um, for me, I remember when I was in college, my boyfriend's mother had passed away, and I remembered thinking trying to understand what he was going through what that would feel like and the only way I could wrap my head around what it must feel like for him was to think if my grandma died what that would feel like for me because you know for him it was the stable force in his life that had died and he was a teenager right I mean 19 or I mean maybe we were 20 at the time but not very old um and then when my grandma did pass away, it was like the, the world dropped out from under me completely. And, um, and it's, it's hard. I'm grateful for how many years I had with her because, you know, my children lost their grandma and their grandpa on my husband's side this last year. And, and I said to my daughter the other day, just how mind boggling it was to me that my grandpa is still alive and hers is not she's 11 you know I'm 38 I still have my grandpa um but I think for us the extended family really was like Mandy said it was it was a a window into what another family could be and what we could hope to attain someday and what we were striving for and what the guide was. I think that for me, that was my mom's siblings and, and my cousins on that side and my grandparents on that side. Cause for me on my dad's side, it, we have a, a large number of alcoholics. My dad's an, a recovering alcoholic and he has a, the majority of siblings as eight siblings, the majority of his siblings are alcoholics as well and not in recovery. Um, so that, you know, I had chaos on, on two sides. So in one way, extended family on one side of the family was that 
tiny bit of stability that I could expect sometimes. And on the other side of the family was probably what Tara was trying to shield her kids from, right? Was just a different kind of chaos that traumatized me in a different way. Um, and so I think, I think extended family has an important role. I think you have to be able to, to judge in a, in a positive way, like consider who are the people who I'm letting into my children's lives. And, and I think it's important as a child of anyone with a mental illness to understand the boundaries around your kids and, and your own parents and um, understanding that, that there can be boundaries. That was a huge thing for me in that therapy session that I did with my mom where this therapist is saying it's, it's okay and right for you to have boundaries as an adult. You are an adult now and you have your own children and you have to be able to put up a boundary sometimes. And I had never been allowed to have a boundary with, with my mom, you know? And so I do think it's important to, to pay attention to like, what is, um, what are my children seeing in this? And at the same time, I think shielding them from it completely can also maybe help or maybe allow the cycle to continue because one thing that my kids are just learning about now, like with my dad is his alcoholism is things about our childhood and who he was that are different than who he is as a grandfather. And and some of the things about why he's so stressed out about certain things and why his, his functioning is a little different. He started drinking at 15. And so his brain age is a little different than other 60 year old men. Um, and it, and we have felt, my husband and I have felt it's important to be upfront about, you know, what's going on with their family members too. And I think, I think it's good for kids to have um, extended family around, whether it's a, a role model of what it is they want to be when they're older and what kind of family they want to have, or whether it's something where it's an example of, here's something to pay attention to, to recognize in other people or something I don't want to have happen. But I think it also, it's just really important to be able to say with extended family to, to be you know, with your own children and with yourself to be honest about what their role is in your life and, and what their role isn't and be able to set those expectations. You know, I, it was hard for me to have to change expectations of my mom too, because in my mind, I wanted a grandmother that was exactly like mine. Right. But at the same time, that's a, a really tall order to ask of her anyway. Um, and she does love to visit the kids and she does like, she's a very fun grandma, but I think it's just important with those extended family relationships to, um, to find, to seek out what is the, the goal or I don't know the model, I guess, what is the model and let your kids and let yourself see that model um, talk to people who are doing things. I, I love the saying, have someone who, or find someone who has what you want, do what they did and you'll get their results. And I think if all you've seen is something you don't want, 
that's not going to be enough. That, that told us as kids what not to do. That helped us see, well, I don't want to do that. But like Mandy was saying, we had no idea what to do, what, how to have a family that looked different from our own. We only knew our own experience. And so I think it's important to find those role models. And I think if you can find them in your family, cling to that. And if you can't find them somewhere else and cling to that. But I do think it's important for kids to have a perspective other than their parents' perspective of people they trust, even better if it's someone who your parents also trust. And so you can feel like it's a, it's a team effort. But um, I think the outside role and the outside perspectives from other adults, other family members are really important in shaping children and shaping humans and, and who we become. Thank you for joining us for It's All In Your Head podcast. Remember to subscribe, like, share, and please comment. Whatever mental health questions you have, we will be happy to answer them in future podcasts. Well, that was well said. And I think about, <clears throat> you know, my kids did not have very good grandparenting relationships, period. And so I think, and I don't know if Thomas wants to talk about that or not, but just because of how my mom was and the shielding process that I thought was necessary at the time, they didn't get that. So they don't have experiences of being able to go and stay with their grandma or anything like that. And he can speak to that because throughout his life and my marriage situation, the grandparents also changed. And so um, Thomas, is there anything that you, that just comes to mind that you want to talk about as far as that's concerned? Um, the only thing I have to say was like, I wish I could have been more closer with my grandmother. Don't get me wrong. You know, yeah, I knew who they were, but I wasn't close. Like we didn't have that relationship like that. Like I only have that with only like my grandfather, well, the only grandfather I have left. That's the only one, you know, I still have that I'm close to far as grandparent wise but <clears throat> well, like I said like what was going on at the time I get why you you know what I'm saying you shielded us from her for a certain amount of time I, I understand that part you know because it wasn't it, it wasn't always the best situations <laughs> when like when we got together and met up you know but <clears throat> I'm just glad the times that I did get to spend with grandma, I made them count the most, as much as I could. Do you remember when she lived with us? Like, can you remember? I do. Or, I, do. I remember or, all the cats. <laughs> You're the cats. And, yeah. So, and for those who don't know, and I think I've talked about it on prior broadcasts, my mom had severe persistent mental illness. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia and sometimes we're better than others. And so I guess I wonder what times were, because I shielded so much, I don't even know if they felt the impact of her mental illness at any point. So Thomas, did you, like, did you understand what was going on with mom? I, at the time I didn't because, you know, 
I didn't fully know what was going on at the time. I just knew that grand, like grandma wasn't feeling right. She or you know, or it was always she's sick. That's what I heard. Like she's sick right now. She's sick. But at the time, I didn't know it was anything. I know it was mental health. I didn't know that at the time. And I think that speaks to the level of anxiety that I had. I just wanted to, and these were things like, there would be things, and I don't even know if, if, if the kids knew, but she would hide like the biggest butcher knives underneath her bed cushion. And I would be worried about things like, what if she goes into a psychotic episode and she thinks that one of my kids is, is trying to do something to her? So I was always doing this like balancing act. And from what it sounds like, I did a really good job kind of hiding everything that was going on, but it was all, it was very unhealthy. And the fact that I, it sounds like I did it well. I don't know how, because they, I was able to continue to shield them from that. But I don't think that that made it better. I think it fostered a certain level of codependency that if it, it would be different if they had been allowed to see some of those things in reality. But I was so fearful of what it would do to my kids because I knew what it did to me. And so I just kind of, you know, if something was going on, I just made sure, like if I had to have my mom hospitalized, I made sure that happened while my kids were at school or something like that, just to make sure that they didn't see the police come into the house. They didn't see grandma being put in the back of a police car, taken to the hospital, all of that kind of stuff. So like I said, it, you know, it was, it was all I knew to do. It wasn't the most healthy, I don't think, because again, there are lots of experiences they didn't get to have because of how anxious I was about everything. So I, you know, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I know Thomas being the laid back one, maybe one of my other kids would say something different um, than him, but he just kind of was a go with the flow kid anyway, and he made it work. So, I don't know. I mean, Thomas, what, what do you think? Like it was, I don't know. I just, I felt so like I was doing a terrible job because of how I mean, anxious but, I was. I mean, but at the time, are you talking about just in general or I like? Think, I think in general and specifically dealing with kind of keeping you guys away from what was going on with mine. Okay. Cause like I said, at the time, I didn't know none of that even. I didn't even like used to. I didn't know the just until now. I didn't know the police came to the house. You know, to I didn't know all of that. So, I guess as far as in general, um, like I said, with me, it just made me wanted to get into some of those things I was shielded from because I never understood like. Mm -hmm. I was just like, why are you freaking out so much? That's what I always used to wonder. But <clears throat> like I said, um, I think doing that was good for me, though. Because certain, certain situations, like I said, my mom was over worried about, actually, like, helped me 
stay out of trouble. Like when it came to certain, like my friends growing up with, when they got into trouble, she like literally took me away from that. <laughs> so I'm like, so in some ways I seen what, you know, why she did some of the things she did. Although I didn't understand everything at the time. And it's okay. I want you to talk about that freaking out a little bit because I don't know if people really understand the magnitude of the freak out, but I want you to explain it because I think that if people hear it from your perspective, it could really help somebody like what that kind of even looked like or even felt like with you growing up. That's kind of hard to put it. Um... Um, okay. This is actually a hard one for me because I'm just thinking of so, so many things right now. But, okay, repeat the question again. I just was saying, what does that freak out thing look like? Because that is usually... It can... The- okay, since you say that, for me personally, it looks kind of crazy a little bit, but... It's also frust- it's more frustrating than anything. It's, it's more frustrating because, okay, like I said, I, I understand, like, knowing who you are, like, you're overprotective. But, you know, but what I was trying to, like, get you to understand is, like, the frustrating part was to get you to understand, like, this is not that. You're overthinking the situation for, like, more than what it is. And I that's, that's why I had... That's why I used to try to get to you growing up. Like, it's not like that. You're making a whole big thing out of nothing. (laughs) But I'll admit, though, like, because sometimes I didn't always call you, you know. It's not like you just were freaking out for no reason. You know, I, I didn't always call you. But at the time, I didn't understand, like, how much you were worried at the time, because, you know, I'm thinking it's no big deal, but you know, but when, as soon as I call you, you're snapping on me. Like, why didn't you call me? I'm like, oh, I mean, at the time I just didn't understand. That's why I was just frustrated with, cause I fully, I did not fully understand why you were so overprotective. I didn't fully understand that. And I think it, I, I like, cause he, the, these are the nice words, and these are probably words that I used and taught them to use, overprotective and all of that. And one of the boundaries was just, too, when I call you, answer. But that wasn't because I thought they were doing anything particularly bad. It was because that helped to ease my anxiety. So if I could hear his voice while he's out, but I'm not thinking from the teenage perspective. Who stops in the middle of a basketball game to call their mom? Well, to me, it made perfectly good sense. But to them, they're like, (laughs) not doing that. And they didn't do it. And all it did was, you know, they saw me in the, the real ball of the anxiety. So that's kind of the exchange that he's talking about. And that freaking out and that overprotective that, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. And they don't know. I could feel the internal mechanism. He did use the one word that was good overthinking because I could write a whole scenario about what could have happened when he was <laughs> at the basketball court. I remember leaving work one time 
to go and find him because he didn't call me on the scheduled time that I wanted him to call. It would, it would just be things like that. And it, it just, it, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. And then thinking of the grandparenting part, I feel like maybe because I'm older, maybe because I'm more settled, of course, whatever, I'm still anxious, but I just feel like I'm a much better grandmother than I was a mom. <laughs> and I just, I, that's how I feel because I don't, I don't have all of that pent up anxiety that I had before. And I'm not trying to control everything and I'm not trying to manage everything and put them in their own little silos and keep things separate. The, which was the way that I tried to function. But then wow. thinking about it now, cause like when you say anxiety, me back then, I thought you were just being overprotective. See, if I would have understood that about the whole anxiety thing, I probably would have done things different. You know, like, okay, I know how my mom is. I'm gonna call her. You know, I would have thought more like that. But like I said, I just didn't fully understand everything at the time, you know? And I'm like that with my son, like certain things that I feel like he can handle, I don't go overboard, but you know, kids nowadays are too smart. So, you know, I, I, I like to push my, I like to push them, but <clears throat> cause now I feel like, you know, if I'm more honest with him, he'll be honest with me. And, you know, and for me, like how you, like how we used to talk, how, you know, that's what I do with Samir. I, I talk to him and see how he feels about it. Then I can better handle the situation better, you know? It, it, so, you know, cause I, I know I can get a little nervous sometimes, you know, what, what parents don't get nervous with their kids, you know? But, <clears throat> But like I was saying, if I would have understood the anxiety part about you more, I would have handled things differently. Thank you for joining us all in your head podcast. I just want to remind you to subscribe, like, share, and comment below. Thank you. Well, let's go to the part where is if there's like a message you would want to give to people suffering as maybe adults that have come through it or even kids or teenagers going through it right now. Is there a particular message you'd wanna, you'd wanna give to people to help them through? Um, I'll just say, if you know, if you have mental health needs, like get on it immediately, find help immediately, talk to, someone who you're most comfortable talking to that about with, because that's not easy talking about mental healthness. You know, I, I'll just say, just find someone to talk to about it who like, you know, you feel comfortable talking about. Cause you know, a lot of times talking about stuff make, makes a whole lot of situations better. That, that's my message. Just talk mm -hmm. it, talk it out and we can, we can find the problem and we can solve it. I like that one, Thomas. What about you, Lexi? I think I would have a different message for a teenager going through it than I would for a, a parent who has it. I think for a parent, for anyone who's a parent of any age child, 
who's going through any sort of mental illness thing, I think the, the loud banner resounding message that I think everyone should know is that children are not resilient. I think everybody loves to use that as an excuse for not taking care of children properly. Children have a lot of needs and they don't have the voice, they don't have the words and they don't have the understanding to tell you those needs. But when they get older, they will be able to. And that's something that I think is hard. Um, it's been hard for each of us as, as the kids with a mother who deals with mental illness. And I think it's been hard for her is that after the fact, I think this happens even when you don't have mental illness. I think after the fact, when your kids are older, they're able to say, you know what, this didn't work for me. This wasn't okay with me. And, and as a parent, you feel like, well, this is coming out of nowhere, right? You were fine with this before and now you're not fine with this. But I think that comes because of this giant lie that children are resilient, that children will just get over it, that you can, you can move them into different houses and different families and different places, and you cannot take their needs into consideration. You can have them away from their family for extended periods of time, and none of that is going to affect them. And the truth of it is, it's going to affect them. Everything that you do as a parent is going to affect them. And, and even as parents, when we try to overcompensate and parent for the way that we needed to be parented, we'll still fail. That won't be the way that our kids need to be parented. And the most important thing is to parent for the child you have, right? And that's just not possible to do when your mental state is not in a place where you can focus on them, where you have to be focused on you. And I think when you do have to be focused on you, you need another person to help with that. You need a therapist. You need, you need someone who you can talk to and someone who, who can help give a different perspective than your own because your own is going to be skewed by this mental illness. And, um, you know, and it's just so important to, to be able to say, if somebody gives me a diagnosis and I think that it's fine, that what I'm doing is fine and my kids are fine, that my perspective is probably, it's best to have at least another perspective from someone else who, who doesn't have the same struggles that I'm going through. Mm -hmm. I think for someone going through it, a teenager going through it, I mean, I think we all cope in our own way. And I think each of us probably coped in a different way, but I think um, as a teenager, it's hard because you think you know everything and, and, and that's normal, but how do you pair that with like, I know my parent doesn't know everything and they're getting some things wrong, but they are getting some things right. And you can't really differentiate that as a teenager. But I think in that case for the teenager, it's important to take that same advice and get a different perspective. That's not your parents' perspective, not a parent with mental illness. That's not your own teenage perspective. It's very hard as a teenager to think that maybe there's something I don't know in the world. But if as a teenager, you can at least find someone else, a therapist, a, a trusted adult who doesn't have any mental illness, a school counselor, a teacher, a grandparent, someone else, and you can be able to take that advice instead, there has to be advice you're willing to take. I, I know firsthand, being a teenager of a 
parent with mental illness, you are not going to take their advice because you see the flaws in the logic and you see that what they're doing is not like what other people are doing. And in some ways as a teenager, it's like a free pass, right? My mom lets me, I don't even have a curfew so I can stay out as long as I want. And I don't have the same rules as other kids so I can do what I want. But it's better to be able to say, there is a parental perspective that's important. And maybe I should seek that out at the very least to keep myself from pitfalls and traps that will affect me for the rest of my life. Okay. Um, Mandy, what would you like to say? So I think that um, I like that there are so many people who are willing to talk about mental illness now. Uh, I think that there are so many resources out there. So if you are a child of a parent um, who is dealing with mental illness and you're starting to feel confused or realize that things maybe aren't the same as other people's families, which no family is perfect or the same, um, but that there are so many resources out there. Talk to people. Um, I know so many with schools, there are counselors available all the time. And so not to be afraid to ask those questions, kind of like, like what Alexis was saying, to say, this is really hard for me. I'm not sure if I have the right perspective. What can I, you know, what, what can I do? So maybe asking those questions, um, asking other people, finding other people so that you can, um, kind of that village mentality, it takes a village so that you can have a better perspective on what's happening um, because we only know what we've grown up with. And in our family, having been multiple generations of mental illness, I think that every generation tried to do better or tried to do it different, but they didn't know what that meant. So they did it maybe different than their parent did it in an attempt to be better and then each generation is getting better and better and trying new things, but there are other perspectives. And so if we can find those out and you can get the help you need, find, like Alexis said, find someone you trust, find someone that you can talk to so that you can get a better perspective um, and know how to help yourself, know what to do when you're in situations where you feel alone um, and so that you can find find ways to cope with it and find healthy ways to cope with it. I think that's the important part. And also find, and this could be someone or um, for me, I said this a little bit before, but um, find your, your guiding star. Uh, for me, that was God. That might not be the same for everyone, but find someone you can trust. I felt that I could turn to God when people let me down. And so find someone you can trust or some more than one someone that you can trust so that to help you get through those difficult times, because being lonely is the hardest part, I think, feeling like you're the only through that. And so if you can feel like you have other people to help and support you, um, it will make your journey easier. Great. Can I add one more thing? I just thought of one other thing that I remember feeling as a teenager, even into my late teens and early twenties, is I was sure that if I ignored it, it would go away and it just doesn't. And for me, it came out most once I had three kids of my own. And then I was in a situation taking care of three kids 
and my husband was working all the time. And so I was alone in the house taking care of three kids and it started triggering traumatic experiences from my childhood. And I think I could have paid attention to those sooner and I could have dealt with them sooner, but I was just sure because I felt okay that if I ignored it, it would go away. And so I think for, for teenagers, for young adults who are getting, if you've survived a house where your parent had mental illness and now you're 18 and you want to go do your own thing. And you think if I just ignore it, it'll go away. I'll do something different. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't, it's still in there and your, and your body and your mind will bring it back. And so it is important, like Mandy's saying to, to reach out, to be able to say, there is something in my family, multi-generation in my family and ours, it was that our great grandma was schizophrenic and it just keeps going and the cycle will keep going until somebody is strong enough to say, I want it to stop and I will seek out therapy until I make this cycle stop. Thank you. So um, Tara, what would you like to say to kind of wind up our session today about parenting? I just thank all of you guys for coming on and just sharing because I mean, number one, we're your moms. I know that it's hard and I, I'm, I'm grateful for your honesty and just talking about the things that, that happened. And I, I remember even the opposite of saying, because I, I remember telling my kids things like, don't ever say, you know, what happens in this house stays in this house. If I am in here and I am doing something crazy, make sure you all tell something you know, to make sure, because I just wanted them to have such a different experience, but I'm glad that again, you guys have been honest and I know that people will be helped by what you've said. We can't always see ourselves. I think in our old age, we've become more self-aware, but we can't always see ourselves. And so I'm so grateful to you guys for coming on and just being honest and transparent with what your experiences were. Michelle? Yeah, I want to just really thank you girls too for coming on and just tell you how much I love you and just thank you for sticking this life out with me, I guess. And just if I had to kind of give a message to anybody out there who's also suffering from mental illness, the thing I've had to really do is take accountability for the things that happen when I'm in a mental health crisis and the things that I do do that hurt other people and do my best to make up for that in whatever way I can, you know, after the fact and just do whatever can be done and try to make amends wherever possible and just spend my life trying to be the best person that I can be in the times that I can be that best person. And when these mental health issues happen, um, I have to make take accountability afterwards and then make things up as best that I can and just move ahead with my life and do the best things that I can be the best person I can be in between those moments. And I've been really grateful for everything that's been able to occur in between those moments, you know, and so I want to just thank all of you for coming on today and being so open and so willing to talk about it. And I hope that it helps somebody. I hope somebody hears this and says, that really helped me. 
you know, and one thing that I think we did say that you're talking about taking accountability is take your medication. That's one thing we yeah. haven't talked about here is that none of this got better for us until our mom was willing to take her medication. And, and in the case of our grandma, she, our great grandma, she didn't get medication till the very end of her life. And as soon as she did, there was a clarity in her schizophrenia that had never been there before in her life. And so I think there has to be a point where we get over the stigma of medication and we say, take the medication. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And even with medication, I still have breakthroughs. I still have mental health breakthroughs, but they're very, they're further between. So definitely. And again, I just want to, Thank you all again, Alexis and Mandy. I haven't met you yet, but I know I'm going to love you anyway. And Thomas, you know, I love you like, you know, just beyond. So you already know that. So I thank you guys so much again. Thank you again for joining us for It's All In Your Head podcast. And remember, mental health matters. And if you don't deal with your stuff, it's going to deal with you. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.